Hi, and welcome to Health, Wealth and the Pursuit of Happiness, a podcast that will empower you to live a more inspired life and find real freedom. Each episode, Mark Dale Mazer and Aries Jimenez discuss best life practices, covering topics ranging from health and well-being, to true wealth and our relationship to money, to understanding what real freedom and happiness really is. They provide tools and a system for helping you live a balanced, authentic life in complete harmony with your mind, body and soul. Okay, man, we are live. All the way live. Yes. All right, let's chat about this idea of congruency on the big list of 14. Any afterthoughts of self-worth before we dive into congruency since we got two episodes cut on that subject? No, other than I think self-worth is a big component. All the 14, I think they're all interconnected. I think self-worth is a big component of hopefully how we see ourselves. Yeah, for sure. Yep. All tied to well-being and happiness. Yep. Well, here's an interesting thought, which of course I have shared with you, but I have not shared with our listening audience. So if you are you, meaning those out in podcast land, have listened to both episodes of self-worth, you learned about my experience with that virtual memorial service and my concern with some of the people on that call, one in particular, that I was really embarrassed that it made a complete idiot out of myself. Yet lo and behold, I got an email, what, one or two days after we'd cut the podcast and he was very complimentary on my contribution. So once again, for some of us, and I being one of them, underscoring the reality that we can live truthfully in our own reality, which can be sometimes very illusionary, that is interesting. What we think is the reality never turned out to be the reality, at least at the level I was concerned about. And all of that anguish and anxiety and fear was probably not even necessary, let alone relevant. Not even relevant. I mean, it's never necessary. We just go through it. And we go through it, unfortunately, by choice. And... Since that time, I made a commitment to do one of my most challenging kundalini kriya practices in my daily meditation. So I'm doing 30 days of this thing called shadarshan, which is this gnarly breathing exercise you do for 30 minutes. And I will tell you that, let's see, I'm eight days into it, nine days into it. Started a week ago Monday. So I've done it for nine straight mornings. I did it every morning while I was in Columbus. Went down to the basement at my sister's house. I'm feeling a shift. I'm feeling a small shift that where I would normally get a little bit gripped by situations, I'm not getting gripped by it at all. Give me an example of that. Well, so we had a hard time getting out of Columbus last night. On your flight? So we were listening on the Denver flight, and the Denver flight, within two hours of me checking, went from nine seats to oversold by one. All the Chicago flights were being delayed by weather in Chicago, and that was all effed up. And I looked 
kind of take a rough count. I look into the gate area and see how many people are there. My sense was on this, it was an A320 and a little bit on the smaller side from the normal size planes. And my gut just says, I don't think we're going to get on this flight. And if we don't get on this flight, now we're stuck with Chicago, which is a complete crapshoot. Everything was being delayed. And you never know. Sometimes it works in your favor, but it would have meant that we're going to get home super, super late. So I saw that the 225 to Dulles was still at the gate and it was delayed by almost two hours. And so I went over there and I looked at the load Well, I went online and looked at the load and the load was good. So I thought, wow, maybe we should just jump to the Dulles flight, which we've done before, go 800 miles east to go 3,000 miles west. <laughs> <laughs> Little detour. Yeah. So we just talked it over to Kath. We just looked at each other and thought, you know what? Let's just bird in the hand. That's usually our philosophy. Bird in the hand. Take what you can get. It's in front of us. We know we'll get on that flight. And the flight to San Diego from Dulles looks good. Challenge was, because the flight was so delayed, the window to get from a United Express flight at Terminal A over to D, <laughs> a craft shoot. Darn terminals. Yeah. Got to make them so far. But lo and behold, a little bit stressed. We get on the flight. Flight was, <laughs> guy gets to the runway, shuts down the engines. I'm going, oh, got to be kidding me. Okay. There was like a two or three minute delay. Why he shut down the engines, I have no idea. So we land in Dulles. We finally get to the gate, rushing out. We had to wait for our check, not a check bag, but it was a small plane. So they had to put the carry on rollers in the baggage compartment, take them out, put them on a cart, bring them out to us. So going through that whole thing and look at the watch. So we dart off and thankfully the shuttle, have you ever been to Dulles? No. They have these huge buses that are nothing but straight bench seats, solid windows, and about 12 wheels, super high off the ground. There's a driver's seat on both ends. So it literally goes from one terminal to the other without turning around or anything. <laughs> it probably can't turn. <laughs> yeah. It can turn a little bit because you can't go straight. I mean, you got to weave through. And Dulles has these super wide alleyways between the terminals, much wider than most airports. I think because of these little shuttles that go back and forth. So we run to the shuttle. The guy's just about to close the door. So we get right on. Great. And then he like leaves in an instant. We get off. And then we just made a sprint to the gate and we made it. Now, normally I'm like so amped up, but dude, I just got on that flight full of gratitude, just kind of laid back and I felt totally at peace. I was just totally calm. Yeah. For the whole, yeah. And I knew I was going to get home really late and because we were back on the Eastern time zone and had the jet lag thing and had so much to do today. and But I just, yeah, got up. So if you weren't doing those exercises, how do you think you, you would have well, reacted to that? Well, I think like how I normally do is I'd be kind of up and down amped and trying to like chill and try to meditate. But instead I just, yeah, I don't know. I'm just feeling a subtle shift. That's all it takes. I know, I know. So that's cool. Anyways, and hopefully, and I shared the story with my sister-in-law both this story and the thing that happened to me back in March, in terms of this 
getting completely wrapped up in this mind game. Crazy. Or getting wrapped up in the past. Yeah, totally. Because you're like, you could still be stuck like, I can't believe our fight's delayed. You could have been just thinking about that still and oh, yeah, kind of irritated. Right. And this like an hour had passed and already. Normally, I would have been. Right. I was not. Okay, so that was just a little story about that, which uh worth nine minutes, probably not. <laughs> but let's talk about the next topic after self-worth, which is... Congruence yes. or congruency, which is defined by that article as feeling that what you do is consistent with how you see yourself. Yeah, I think that is super, not only interesting, but I think it's really relevant. Well, some of the words that we use to describe it prior to jumping on and recording is alignment. Yeah. Alignment. Harmony. Yeah. So alignment and harmony with what? According to this, with how you see yourself. And what's interesting there is that there really is no standard in terms of how we all see ourselves. But that was the question that you posed is as we try to deconstruct this topic. Exactly. The key question or the question we need to start out at is how, how do you see yourself? Do we see ourselves. Yeah. Correct. That's why I was kind of enthusiastic for this particular one. It's definitely a spinoff of self-worth. When I think about how I see myself, just in general, for all of us, I mean, we see ourselves through the reflection of a mirror. So you're standing in front of a mirror. That's one way. Yeah. So you see yourself physically, how you're looking in the morning <laughs> or after a rough day or at night, whatever. You check yourself out before you go into a, a big event or something like that, going out to dinner with your wife or your husband. So I guess I bring that up because what are the tools that we use or the things that we're able to use to see ourselves the way we are? An example of that would be I'm really big on these assessments. We talk about self-discovery and trying to get a better understanding of myself. So I've done a ton of assessments. Myers-Briggs, I did a disc analysis, strength finder, got the Colby. I did a standout report. I mean, the list goes on and on. And Have you done the Enneagram yet? I have. And what are you? Shoot. Because we had a huge discussion about this in Columbus. I think I'm a three. You're a three. I got to verify that. Okay. I had a couple of friends that are getting into that as well. Yeah. It's really cool. It is. It's interesting. I'm a seven. So is Catherine. Okay. What's Mel? She hasn't done it. Oh, yeah. she's got to do it. I would like for her to do all the Mel, are you listening to assessments this? that i If you're I've listening done. to this, do it. Yeah. Yeah, but I think for me, that's a way that I'm able to at least put in words or to help me kind of see myself a certain way is what these assessments tell me about myself, just like a mirror would show me what I look like physically. Yeah, but here's the thing that is really intriguing to me. When you say yourself, who is that though? Yeah. Is that the Aries self? Is it the soul self? Is there a difference? I think there is. Is there a distinction? What's the function of one? What's the function of another? And so in the congruency conversation, when we say we need to be in alignment with ourselves, which self are we talking about? Mark, you know what self we're talking about. 
I know, but does everyone else know what self we're talking about? <laughs> Maybe not. What What is that self, Mark? I think the self is the soul and spiritual self. The essence. What we call the true self? The true self, yeah. The true self, the true nature. Who we eternally are. Eternal being contrasted with who we currently in this physical state of reality. Time and space. Bodies, personalities, eyeballs, ears, a mouth. Everything that we're able to experience through the senses. And we have a mind, we have a heart, which could easily be defined as a physical organ, but it also is a resonance and a place of intelligence, as is the gut, which deals with food. It's also where the intuition rides and lives. So that's what I find really interesting. And I guess in a perfect world, both are relevant while we're in this time-space reality. I mean, the physical body, the personality of who you are, who I am, our connection as human beings, we have to have that. And so I think congruency probably is all those things too. I would say the most important of the alignment is on the soul level, but all the others are important too because we have to function in a particular way. And I think the more we understand how we're functioning physically as a personality, as a character, as an actor in this play of life, why we do what we do, congruency is huge, I think, to well-being and happiness because it's like the concept of the universe where like attracts like. It's like the natural state of things. And I think the natural state of things for us as people is that everything we're doing and how we're behaving and the, and the way we are in the world is congruent and we're cool with that and we're accepting of that. And I would agree with you that all of these different self-assessment tools out there are helpful to help us navigate in life in the physical plane. But when it comes right down to it, I sort of picture a navigational system that has multiple sort of sensors, if you will. And the sensor that is most important is that soul spiritual center, the eternal being that we all are, and that knowing who we are in that regard can inform how we behave and inform how we are in the world. The closer we are to be in alignment with that, the frequency that we're operating in, like the contrast that we've talked about before, love and fear. Love, the highest frequency. Fear, the lowest frequency. You cannot make any other case than this, that based on who we truly are, if we are operating in fear, we are not operating in congruency with who we are if we're operating in that frequency. And our bodies will tell us that. I went through that thing with that memorial. I mean, I was like a basket case, mentally and physically. Why? I was completely out of alignment. I was in fear. I was anxious. I was self-deprecating. I was self-loathing. I was just nosediving. And why did I feel that way? 
And why did I spiral out? It's because at that moment and through those multiple moments on that call and for basically two or three days after that call, I was walking around not in alignment, not congruent. Did I feel happy? No. Did I have a sense of well-being? No. Well, at a very deep level, yes. So what causes us not to be aligned then? It's the choices we make. And I think for myself in deconstructing that whole thing, and I think we've talked about this, I don't know if we talked about this podcast, but or when I was on one of Catherine's, I was a guest on one of her, I don't remember what it was, one of her calls, one of her mentorship calls. And we were talking about, well, gosh, you know, how do you deal with crazy thoughts that come into your mind? And I said, well, one of the things that I do, but I did not do it in this case, is a thought enters my mind, which I know does not serve me, and it is not congruent with who I am. It could be a thought of, oh, gosh, I'm really stupid. I can't believe I did that. How is that lining up with who I am? It's not. So I have a choice. Now, I can chase that thought, and I can continue to ruminate what I thought, or I can do the stop, drop, and roll like I'm on fire, where I stop immediately as I'm into that thought. I drop the thought, just like I do in meditation. This is the cool thing about meditation, is that you will learn to let go of thoughts. It's a muscle. And so I now can literally let go of a thought. The next, in an instant thing I have to be cognizant of is to stay with the commitment to drop the thought, which simply means even if it comes back, continue to let it go. If it comes back, let it go. Don't chase it. Don't think more about it. Don't give it any momentum. And if you take a step back from who you are and you look at how your mind behaves, you can see this thing playing out. So fortunately, with all the self work that I've done, I have been able to see that. So you stop it, you drop it, and then you replace the thought with something that'll even keep it from returning perhaps, not giving it even space or room to return. It's like, hey, dude, fear thought, dude, door's closed. I'm now operating in love here, okay? There's no room for this. And in time, it will just, it will, foot away. If it has sort of like nothing to stick to and there's nothing for it to resonate with, it will vanish. So I think in that respect is where we have the choice. Now, in my case, in the memorial service, I was so wrapped up and because I had to be present on the call, I thought I had to be present in the sense of listening, but the reality was I made that choice too. I could have said the most important thing here is, is I'm spiraling is to stop, stop it, drop it, and roll. Now, there are two parts of this. The first part is all this was starting to happen when I was talking, and it's hard to kind of stop, drop, and roll if you're engaged literally in a conversation. But as soon as the conversation was over, now I'm just a listening participant. In retrospect, what I would have done and should have done, and again, this is just a growth thing. I just haven't got to the point where I'm now exercising like this. I should have shut the volume off, removed myself from the call, take a step back, and literally drop into a meditative state to let go of that thought by choice, concentrate on that, and roll with another one. Forgive myself, let it go. 
we all have our little sayings that help us. Like my big thing is everything happens for me. Okay, so I just went through this ridiculously painful experience, which I do believe I created because it was so bad, it forced me into now dealing at the next level with shedding this kind of pattern in my life. Does that make sense? No, it does. But when I think about the situation, one thing that sticks out to me is this was a situation that you've never been in before. So it's almost like... Oh, you mean the environment in which I was operating in with that? Exactly. Because the question I ask is, why was Mark like that? Yeah. Yeah. So I think about the different factors. I'm like, you know what? He's probably never done a memorial like this in this format. That is true. I was uncomfortable. It's all new. You're out of your comfort zone. So it's knowing that when you're out of your comfort zone, that's when we tend to let our thoughts kind of snowball. Correct. But again, let's deconstruct. I've always had a fear of speaking in front of people. Now, once I get going, I'm good. And I actually feel I'm called to speak in front of people. But I have this fear. I have this anxiety. Every time I've spoken, doesn't matter when it is, how it is. Sometimes even a group meeting, I can be anxious right before we start talking. You're probably looking at me like, dude, are you serious? I don't even realize that. Okay, but I do. And why is that? Well, I think it was a childhood experience I had. I can remember from as long, as far back as I can remember, I've always been, I was like super shy all through grammar school, into high school, because I remember a specific event in second grade where I raised my hand to answer a question, and I don't remember specifically what transpired in my answering a question, but I remember being completely humiliated by my second grade teacher, Mrs. Collins. I don't remember what she said, I just remember the feeling. And I remember specifically shutting down from that point forward. Honestly, I never really broke out of it until my senior year in high school when I got a job selling shoes. And I had to greet people, sit them down, and sell them shoes. (laughs) And I will tell you that that experience at Baker's Shoes was a turning point for me. And I remember feeling very empowered by it. And... That was kind of the beginning of it. And then I think that now fast forwarding probably roughly, let's see, four, seven, so 11 years later, and I made the decision to go into the insurance business. And now I had to cold call people, which I hated and was super anxious about, and had to meet people that I didn't know and talking about something I wasn't super knowledgeable about in the beginning. And I didn't really love, I didn't have a passion for insurance, but I didn't understand the value. But I did discover in that mix of experience that I meant to talk to people. That's my calling, is to have conversations with people. And now, fortunately, I've identified that, and I now know what kind of conversations I want to have with people. Like this one. So what happened, you talk about those different experiences, but at some point, you said in second grade, you viewed yourself a certain way or there was fear and anxiety around public speaking. That may have been that I felt that I was stupid, I was dumb, I wasn't qualified, I wasn't worthy. I don't know what it was. So how do you change that? There's a number of ways I think that we can explore changing that. I don't have all the answers on this. But 
And my understanding is from what I've read in the different spiritual texts that I've read, I think this is where affirmations come in, where you're now taking the polar opposite of what you believe. Because let's just speculate. Self-talk. Yeah. So let's just go back. And I think we can all identify areas or times in our life. We've been in a situation that's been humiliating, it's been difficult, it's been emotionally painful. And so two things can happen when that occurs. We could be super evolved consciously and say, that was just a thing and I don't identify with it. It was an event, it was a moment. It happened, it's done, it's not me. But what most of us do is we internalize it and it becomes me. I said something stupid becomes I am stupid and on and on and on. So it's that self-talk over the years. And so I think the affirmations that speak to the polar opposite of how you're viewing yourself is one way. But it requires a lot of work. I think the most significant thing for me in my own life really has been my meditation and my yoga practice. Now what it does, I'm not quite sure of the technology, particularly in kundalini yoga, that creates these shifts. But I know it's working because I can get into something and I just feel I absolutely cannot go on. And then lo and behold, I'm not even struggling to go on. I'm just going on. And I'm asking myself, how am I doing that? What's happening there? And what I feel is the anxiety and the fear or whatever's going on on these negative emotions that just continue to just like crop up, they don't have the grip over me that they once had. I think it behooves all of us to try all these different modalities to look for answers to relieve the suffering. And truthfully, if we're not responsible and taking responsibility, then we just really remain a victim, sadly. And sadly, it's a victim of our own doing. We are victimizing ourselves. So those are a couple of my thoughts on that. Now, I don't know. How would you go about dealing with some of the things that you've experienced in terms of negative self-talk or wanting to sort of change the course of behavior? And like we've talked for you in your life plan, like your commitment to health and why you haven't been able to truly commit at the level that you've wanted to commit. Now you're taking steps. What's going on internally with that? Have you ever gone through the process of trying to deconstruct what's keeping you from really just getting it done at the level you really want to get it done? I would say that it does have a lot of just thoughts back to what you're thinking about. Like what's top of mind ends up being what you're focused on. And I think for me, one, there's a lot of distractions or with that self-talk, you say, well, I don't really have any time or I don't have the energy to do it or the discipline, all those different things. Because one of the things that I think about, we touched on kind of in an earlier episode, The Miracle Morning, and how when I read that book, I was so inspired and I did kind of what the book outlines in terms of waking up an hour before and just having this routine. And I started to do that, but old habits, old habits, man. I just kind of, you just revert back. Yeah. 
And so I think in order for me to do that, like I got to continue to keep reading the book. That has to be my focus. Yeah, that'd be an example. Cause, we all have our different things. Yeah, I mean, I'm guilty. I mean, one of the things that I think about for this is consistent with how you see yourself. So I see myself as someone that obviously having read the books and just continuing to learn, I feel like I have a lot of the knowledge. Us as individuals, I think for the most part, we kind of know what we need to be doing. But then, like you'd mentioned, but a lot of times we don't do the things that we know we should be doing. And that right there is an example of not being in alignment with how you see yourself. So still a struggle. I'm still a work in progress. But I would say back to change. Change is a process. And I think change happens one moment at a time, one day at a time. You just got to keep stacking them. Yeah, stacking them. I like that. It is one moment at a time. Yeah, we've touched on a book called The One Thing. And I'm starting to get dig into the podcast of The One Thing a little bit. And I think back to the whole focus and yeah. being distracted, if we just focus on just one thing yeah. every day, like what's that one thing that you want to focus on daily? Right. Yeah, exactly. And just stack that. Let the momentum build. Before it becomes a habit. Yeah. Yeah. Until it becomes a habit. Until it becomes a habit. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And where this all ties in, this ties into everything we talk about. This ties into your life plan. Everybody comes up with this life plan. I was thinking about this. People come into their life plan with respect to their dream because they're not living their dream. So you got to ask yourself, well, why aren't you living their dream? And the answers are generally not very clear. But what you and I know from doing the work is that oftentimes that's not clear because we've gone about living in a way that is not true to ourselves. This is where congruency comes in. Multiple reasons for that. Things that are put on you belief-wise at a young age, you're family, your peers, your social structures, everything that you experience, you end up living someone else's agenda. It's not intentional on anyone's part. It's the way humans behave. It's how we communicate. We use language that tries to influence people. They try to control people. And so at the end of the day, it just compromises one's freedom and one's congruity with their heart and where they really want to be and how they want to live. On the subject of having conversations that you want to have, I had this conversation with my sister-in-law at breakfast yesterday, which was just a gift. It was a gift. She's going through this stuff. I asked her, what's happening with your work? Well, basically, she went into this entire story line that mirrors me and God knows how many other people where she just reached a point where the work she was doing just didn't do it anymore. And she kind of hit this crisis mode and she didn't know what to do. And so she ended up finding this coach and the coach took her through a number of exercises very similar to like what we take people through in our life planning process, which I'll tell you a little bit more about this offline. She's sending me the information on this woman and I think she'd be a great guest on the podcast. My sister-in-law is saying, hey, I am experimenting with this new type of work and I wondered if you'd be interested in being a guinea pig for me. Well, it just turned her life around. 
to where now she knows exactly what it is that she really wants to be doing with people. She was a public relations and marketing executive pinnacle of her career with AT&T. Then she went out and did it on her own. And she worked with, she wrote speeches for CEOs. And she's just like sharing this whole experience with me. And she's recently went through the Enneagram. So she kind of got in touch with that part of herself, wanting to honor that, wanting to be congruent with that and making sure that everything she's doing lines up with her type, which I think is a two. And so, you know, she kind of wove that into the conversation. It was really interesting. And why I'm saying this is that what we can do with those around us is help them see what is not congruent with who you are and to help them go deeper to discover everything about who they are, the body part and the spiritual part and the mind part, the whole kit and caboodle. And I do think when we are able to do that, and that, by the way, is not an easy lift, like you said, it's a process. It's a moment at a time. It doesn't unfold immediately for most people. You can have many an aha moment, but for the most part, but it is, as we always say, it starts with intention and inner listening and finding your inspiration and turning it all into a vision for your life. Let's go into those first four pieces. And congruency, we are talking about it because it's something you can set the intention for. I want to live congruently with who I am, who I truly am, my true nature, and how I'm wired, however you want to word it. And then just let it unfold and be that constant focus. Not that you're out there like a mad person looking under every nook and cranny for something about what you're intending, but just set the intention. The universe will bring it all to you. And when it comes, jump on it. Embrace it. Don't have time. Make time. It came to you. That's what you've asked for. If it means giving something else up temporarily, give it up. And likely, you can find some things that you can get up that are not congruent. And of course, we had this conversation too all around the issue of money and earning income and how we make decisions around earning income, doing things that are not congruent with who we are or how we're wired, some combination of both, whatever it is. And the net of that is we adapt to it because we're amazingly adaptive. But the reality is we're compromising who we really are. And that at some point will catch up with you. If not in this lifetime, when you come back, at some point it will come back and then you will have to deal with it because it's the evolution of human beings, I believe, to actually learn this and live this, to experience consciousness on this planet in alignment. There you go. There it is. <laughs> Drop the mic. Drop the mic. <laughs> so now, where do we go from here with congruency? Where do we go from here? What are some exercises that maybe people can do to help them learn what's congruent for them? Which I guess I'm asking is, what are some good exercises or tools for people to learn about themselves? 
because it can't be congruent with something you don't know. What I think about really centers on we just need to continue to grow. Because I think as we grow, I think naturally things will not be consistent. We'll outgrow job positions. We'll outgrow relationships. We'll outgrow, I mean, a number of different things. So when you do that and you don't feel inspired, that you're living from a place of spirit, I think that sheds some light on the things that you shouldn't be doing anymore. How will we know this? You know, back to the whole feeling. Congruence, feeling that what you do is consistent with how you see yourself. We've talked about feeling before that it's kind of like a compass. Like if we're in tune with how we feel about certain things, that can help us navigate and make decisions on certain things in our life that getting away from the things that don't make us feel good and just moving towards things of the complete opposite that do make us feel good, that do make us feel inspired and getting away from the fear. You know, I would say the unique ability piece. Your favorite. That is my favorite. That's my thing right there. Just having a better understanding of yourself and how you're unique. And you need to bring that to the world. And you just need to start where you're at. Shine your light in terms of where you're at and just continue to mature and grow and make that light shine brighter for the world to see because we all have value to bring to each other. Yeah, I would say those things. Ask yourself the question, like, how do I see myself? That's a very deep, thought-provoking question right there. Very, but a great question, a great question. And being real honest and, to your point on the feeling, when you're asking yourself the question, what kind of feelings are coming up? And one cautionary note on this for most people, we don't like feeling bad. And as a result, we often don't stay with a bad feeling. We look to cover a bad feeling. We look to find a way to distract the bad feeling, replace it with a good feeling. I think this is what, truthfully, this is what drugs are all about, escaping the bad feelings. And whatever that is, fear. I just saw Rocket Man on the flight back from Dulles. And have you seen this? Do you know the movie? No. About Elton John. Okay. So I grew up in the Elton John era. I liked a lot of his songs. He was weird and eccentric. I can't say I was a fan of Elton John. He was different and unique. Boy, that he was. And the movie shed an amazingly interesting light on how he developed as a musician as a result of his pain as a child. And they went into great depth about the pain part and how that resulted in behavior. And clearly he was, there's a scene in the movie where he confronts his father as a already emerging rock star, okay? And the father has left the mother, his mom, and has remarried and has two new more kids, two boys that are probably like 10, 12 years younger than him or more. And one of the things he had growing up was that he never was hugged or really loved by his father in any way. And it's talked about in the movie in the context of his sitting in an AA group, coming off one of his 
more popular tours, but kind of really hitting rock bottom as a person. And in his early years, I mean, he didn't do drugs. He didn't do anything like that. But it all happened as a result of this second encounter with his father. And this is how the movie depicted it. And it probably did happen very similar to this, I would guess. But so he had this connection with his dad. He reconnected. And again, no affection, nothing. So he's kind of like really disappointed and hurt. And so he's leaving his father's house. He gets into his limo and he looks out the window and his father is walking back into the house with his two boys and he's picking them up. He's picking one of them up and holding him and hugging him and putting his arm around the other one. And he just lost it. He lost it. That's all he wanted. He wanted some love. That's all he wanted. And he could see that now it was hard enough that he wasn't getting it. But now he sees his two stepbrothers and they're getting it. And he lost it. And that was the beginning of his, down the path of drowning his sorrows and his feelings in drugs. So my whole point with it is connect with the feeling, whatever the feeling is, stay with the feeling. No matter how difficult, painful it is, stay with the feeling. Honor the feeling. It is part of you. And don't run from it. Because I think when we are able to embrace it, that is the only way that it dissipates. And I would say, not just embrace it, but I think you need to talk to somebody about it. I think that's one of the reasons why therapy... Definitely very helpful. I've never gone through therapy myself, but I know there's a lot more people that I know that have, and they talk to me about the benefits of it. And that'd be an example is just being able to have someone that you trust being in a safe environment where you can express how you're feeling about certain things. One, to just release that, as well as getting somebody who's not emotionally tied to the situation to maybe shed some light as to maybe why you might be feeling that way. I think that's important. You had talked about what are some next steps, where do we go from here? I mean, I would say there's so much value in having a partner, like an accountability partner. So when it comes to how you see yourself and the things that you want to do, who you want to be, what you want to have, having someone that you can communicate those things to, so that way when you're not doing those things, you're not making progress or taking small steps towards those things, they could bring that to your attention. And it's those relationships, those people that can speak the truth out of love to you. That goes a long way in terms of helping you just with the self-awareness and knowing what areas you need to change and what type of support you actually need too. Right. Yeah. Exactly. No, I think it's a great idea. Any activity that we do that helps us explore, share, and express what we're feeling will result in a benefit. It's healthy. It is healthy. It's a positive thing for it's a our well being. It'll help you towards well being and it will help you towards happiness for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, very good. Very good. Closing thoughts. Are we ready to close? Do we have closing thoughts? Are we at the close? <laughs> uh, yes. Closing thoughts, you know, just back to alignment. Are you aligned? Are you living the life that? Are you living a life that you want to be living? Yeah. Well, that's the magic question, isn't it? Yeah. And we're here to help you 
pursue and to give you permission to actually go after the life that you really want to live, whatever that is. And we have all the tools for you to get there in the self-discovery process. When we talk about life, it's are you being the person that you want to be? Are you doing the things that you want to do? Do you have the things that you want to have? Exactly. At your heart's core. Yeah. And so thank you for listening. And we hope this has been somewhat helpful, maybe very helpful. And we encourage all of you to be, well, congruent with who you truly are. Yeah. And until our next podcast, happy congruency to you all. (laughs) Some of the concepts and tools used in the process of helping you discover a more balanced and inspired life are provided by the Kinder Institute, Money Quotient, and The Strategic Coach. These may be referenced throughout different episodes of the podcast, and you can learn more about each of them in our show notes at hwph.org. You can also find more information about the work Mark and Aries do at sandiegowealth.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and available directly via email with feedback, questions, and more at us at hwph.org. Thank you all for listening.